0: Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember: Tales, Truths, Delights from A Hundred Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. Places I Remember emphasizes the word places. But I like travel theme shows, too. In Episode 6, I talked with the CEO of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance about endangered wildlife around the world. In Episode 12, I spoke with public relations guru Florence Quinn about traveling green. And in upcoming episodes, we're talking about resilience in travel and life with a geologist who summited Mount Everest and with an expedition leader in Antarctica. In this episode, our travel theme is important, relevant, And I know will be enlightening what it's like traveling when you're a person of color. And later, we'll discuss where to go in America to learn more about the American black experience. Our guests are Leslie Bishop, a fierce advocate and a retired teacher and public relations professional. Her son is actor Stephen Bishop. You've seen him in movies, including Moneyball. And his most recent TV role is in the popular series Run the World. Like his mom, Stephen is also an activist welcome Leslie and Stephen
1: thank you hi
2: thank you thanks for having us
0: well I want to thank you especially for sharing this important topic with us I'm watching an extraordinary Netflix show called Underground Railroad it reminds me that the first black travelers in America were those escaping slavery to go north staying at safe houses along the way and a hundred years after emancipation black travelers were still seeking safe houses and places to eat and sleep Leslie you and I both grew up under Jim Crow laws in the South. You experienced the inequities, but I grew up in Florida in the 1940s and 50s and lived in Georgia in the 1960s, and I observed it. As a white child, I was confused. I drank from the colored water fountains, thinking they were red or green or blue. I sat in the back of the bus, not fully understanding that Black passengers couldn't sit in the front. And I wasn't really aware that restaurants were segregated and that Black travelers in many parts of the country couldn't sleep in hotels where white people slept or even use the bathrooms in rest stops along the roads. A recent Oscar-nominated movie, One Night in Miami, shows that even boxing champ Mohammed Ali, then named Cassius Clay, And his celebrity Black friends could not stay in a hotel in Miami Beach in the 1960s when I was living there. So I want to ask you, Leslie, as a proud Black woman, what was it like for you moving around and traveling during Jim Crow?
1: Well, you know, Leah, I was born and raised in the North, born to a multicultural family. So I wasn't really experienced with the South in terms of water fountains and bathrooms and things like that. So in a lot of ways, I was just as naive as this group of students that I joined in 1964 from Ripon College, which is in Wisconsin. My psychology professor, I was a psych major, and my professor decided that his students needed to understand what was happening. So we did a road trip to Jackson, Mississippi. We were participating in an exchange program in Tougal- with Tougaloo College. So they sent five of their students to our campus and we drove down to Jackson. Let's just say I learned a lot in that. It wasn't it didn't help that I was the only black student. Well, first of all, I was the only black female student on the campus at the time. And then so there were no other black people to go with us in this in this trip. So I was one of one of one and the others were white boys actually. I was the only woman too. We were followed By state police, once we passed Illinois, from state to state, we were followed constantly. And even when we stopped for bathroom breaks, which was also quite an experience I'll talk about later. So that began the odyssey and it goes from there. Wow. That was my first real experience with overt racism. I will tell you about real racism after a while.
0: Okay. There was another Oscar-nominated movie made a few years ago about something called The Green Book, which is a guidebook which let people of color know where they could safely eat or relieve themselves or spend the night all around the United States. Did you ever use The Green Book?
1: I never heard of The Green Book until this movie came out, to be honest. Like I said, I was a northerner. We distanced ourselves a lot. From everything that was going on in the South. When I say we, I don't mean me personally, I mean my family. So there were uh, things that we just wouldn't do. Keep in mind, too, that uh, the people in the Great Migration who were coming up during that period of time from the South following the railroad lines, most of our immigrants were from Mississippi. A lot of, <laughs> they experienced a lot of discrimination from Northern black people. They didn't, we did not want to be mistaken for people who just get, you know, literally got off the boat or got off the train from Mississippi. So there was a lot of that. So the green book never came into my consciousness at all.
0: Well, did you have any frightening or dangerous experiences in your travels up north at all?
1: On the regular, but not dangerous so much as frightening. Give you an example. The custom which is probably familiar to you, too. Uh, the custom when you went to a prom was to go out to dinner afterward with the, with your posse, you know, with your group of friends. And the one thing I was in charge of planning that activity, and I had to call around the city of Chicago to ask if they would serve Negroes. There was no way you could just walk into a restaurant in the city of Chicago and assume that you were going to be seated. There would never be one word exchanged in terms of we don't serve black people or Negroes. There would be a mistake in the reservation. There would be suddenly something came up, anything but saying we don't serve Negroes, but that would be the issue. So you learn to you learn to plan ahead.
0: Yeah, dog whistles. Dog whistles, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Well,
0: there was a recent piece in USA Today written by a black reporter named Rita Omoka. And she expressed concerns about recently traveling solo across America. She checked in with her family every night. She gave them Apple maps of all her locations. She avoided gas stations in small towns, especially at night. She never drove overnight or walked down dark streets. And she even set a timer to remind herself to move along in case it would get too late. So I think today we're still having situations, obviously, for men and women. But Stephen, since George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement, we've become even more aware of the dangers of even jogging or driving for black men. You're a familiar face to many, but what have been your experiences while traveling in the U.S. and abroad?
2: I've had kind of different lives as a as a baseball player. I had a I had one life where we traveled to a lot of small towns and everywhere from Idaho to. Minnesota to up in Canada and around, you know, the Dakotas and places like that. And then as an actor, bigger places like New York City, Atlanta, obviously here in Los Angeles, my experiences have been pretty good in both regards. I just the, the reputations of certain places are what put anxiety in you as a person of color. You, you know, as an actor, I don't spend a lot of time out of my uh, my living arrangement, whether it be a hotel or a, an apartment, just because I, you know, I, I tend to try to stay focused when I'm uh, on location, and I don't want to, you know, you know, when you're out working you know, 14-hour days, it's it's difficult to want to go out and do much of anything other than come home and go to sleep. The fact that I stay pretty secluded is, you know, a big a big deal when it comes to not having very many experiences uh, with other people, whether they be good or bad. The, there are certain places in the country that you, you, you go as a scout, as a baseball scout, I traveled a lot in the South, you know, you're driving alone through these, these places and you just have these memories. It's almost like, as you're driving through these places, the, the, the trees are talking to you and, you know, it's like you have these, uh, ideas of, uh, things that have happened in the past and these, uh, recollections of stories that you've been told and they, they put a they put a fear in you just just like anytime you're driving whether your registration and insurance are are perfect or not and a and a policeman gets behind you there's that anxiety so whereas i haven't had too many bad experiences you know as a as a professional baseball player they've been they've been really good you know people like pro baseball players as an actor the same thing it's especially if you have a little bit of notoriety and face recognition you 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 know you avoid a lot of the bad things but it's the feeling that you have inside that's almost like not to be dramatic but it's almost like a prison it's like you know no matter where you go you you kind of like feel Walls kind of walls closing in that you may at some point experience something unpleasant. And, you know, after hearing stories from my mother and, and uh, you know, seeing things happening around the country, those fears are are real. And they, you know, I just feel fortunate that I haven't had any really bad experiences in that regard.
0: Uh, Leslie, do you feel worried
1: when Stephen travels? I feel worried more when he's in the United States than I do when he's traveling. To be quite honest, Re- lately I am. Before we started taping, I joked that I worry if he leaves the house, but that's not a joke. I really worry now that he will be mistaken for some other person that's done something terrible. I mean, he's already had run-ins with the police that don't make any sense whatsoever. None. One of them included me. When he was trying to pick me up from the airport, I was coming in to visit, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting. It turned out he had been stopped by a police officer because he was sitting in his car texting or to, uh, using his telephone. When My, was this? Was this a long while ago? LAX. Yeah. recently. A few years ago, uh, no. What, what was I can't remember why I was there. If it was for Moneyball or for the um, the earlier one, The Rundown, which was his first mate, uh, his first actual movie. In any in any event, he had to do his thing. Let the, what he does. He may want to tell you himself, but he knows how to deal with the police in order not to get killed. But I just worry all the time that something like that could happen, and you can't. Stop worrying when every time I turn on CNN or MSNBC, I see another black man has been killed by the police for doing absolutely nothing. So, yeah, I worry.
0: Yeah. Now that we've discussed some realities. Let's talk about some of the special destinations which focus on the Black experience in America so we can all learn as we travel. Tell us about the Martin Luther King tour in Atlanta, Leslie.
1: As it happens, I could walk there for the Martin Luther King National Historic Site. It's about a quarter mile from where I live. It's a good history of, in fact, you walk past his I think it's his birth home. Yes, it is. You, you can see, okay, thank you. You can you're looking at it now. Yes. You can see it's it's got a, a cream color with brown trim on it or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so yes, and outside of the national historic site is the actual tomb where he uh, he is entombed. You can't really forget that this was where he became a huge leader of the black community because there his image is everywhere. His name is everywhere. What I'm always shocked about whenever I'm reminded of him, though, is how young he was. He was younger than our boys. He was younger than he, he's, he was 35 years old when he was assassinated. I just am always floored by it. It's a, it's a great reminder, if you're Black, of, of how what you've been through. For little children, which I see going in on a regular basis with their teachers all the time to visit the site, it is important, I think, because I think our young people, maybe Stephen will agree or not, but I think our young people are losing the memory of what we've been through in terms of, you know, Stephen says that he listened to what I said because I lived through it. But the next generations are losing it. Yeah. That's, I would Go just ahead. want to
0: say that's why it's important we talk about these sites because these are places people can learn about the experience and we need to visit them and, and learn from them. And one exactly. of them is this site you're mentioning. It's also the site of the Ebenezer Baptist Church where, yes. where King and his father and his grandfather served as ministers. So there's a lot there. It's on 35 acres. It's a large, large place. Now, there's... a Uh, The National Civil Rights Museum in, in Memphis, Tennessee, I did visit that. And that is where, of course, the Lorraine Motel is the center of it. And that is where King was assassinated. It's quite moving to see that. And they also have all sorts of presentations of this history of the civil rights movement from the 17th century up to the present. They even have the lunch counter where the civil rights activists sat in protests in the 1950s and it's very memorable i recommend that to anybody to get a better feeling about the the long hard fight for for civil rights and we should mention also the martin luther king memorial in on the national mall or next washington. to it in washington dc have you seen that
1: one no i really wanted to right before i was planning a trip to washington right before the pandemic hit to visit a friend and also to do that because the since the last time I visited her, it wasn't there, so I wanted right. to have her take me, but no, not yet.
0: Another relatively recent museum is the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which is a Smithsonian Institution museum on the National Mall, and it opened in 2016 with a ceremony led by President Barack Obama. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so there, there are many places you can study the Black experience. I think now when people are traveling more, they're taking road trips. There are places that are wonderful to go to. One is uh, a self-guided driving tour of the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway, which is 45 sites winding 125 miles through Maryland's eastern shore and 98 miles through Delaware before it ends in Philadelphia. And you can see all kinds of facets of Tubman's life and how her up. Bringing equipped her to lead seventy people at least out of slavery, including her family and friends, and she became later a spy for the Union, fighter for women's rights, and I think she should be on the twenty dollar bill, and maybe Absolutely. she'll get there.
1: Yeah, maybe the maybe the hundred dollar bill.
0: Yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> she needs to be on a bill. Another thing that I think is we should mention, I have not seen it. I don't know you have. That's even more recent, is a very solemn name. It's called the Legacy Museum from Enslavement to Mass Incarceration and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And it's in Montgomery, Alabama. And it's located on the site of a former warehouse where Black people were enslaved. Interesting uh, in terms of showing the slave trade and racial terrorism in the Jim Crow South and the world's largest prison system. It is not an easy thing to watch. But the most stunning and sobering section is on a six-acre site overlooking Montgomery. It's the National Lynching Memorial, a sacred space. Till now, there's been no National Memorial acknowledging the victims of these lynchings, which are more than 40. For 100 known African American men, women, and children who were hanged, burned alive, shot, drowned, and beaten to death by white mobs between 1877 and 1950. So, this is an extremely important piece, like you were saying, to learn about and to go there. It would be something in travels, I think, when you're not sure where you might want to take a road trip, this might be one consideration in terms of history. What do you think of that, Leslie, Stephen? What do you think about that to have a museum of that? Lynching.
1: I have mixed feelings about a memorial like that. On the one hand, it's important that we understand that it's it's been happening all this time and it it was a routine in the in the recent past. But it you know I think it maybe brushes up against a fine line between memorializing and glorifying. It's it's just something that goes in back, you know, back and forth in my mind.
0: Well it I know one thing people who have gone there who've spoken to me have changed their they their, their whole view of America has sobered up. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's very important for some to go. I think many of us oh. who understand it maybe don't need it as much as others who don't. Absolutely. Even any comments on that one?
2: Uh, yeah I'm similar. I mean I believe it's important, but at the same time, I we're quite honestly, my, my generation and I'm sure the generation before me, but definitely the generation after me are tired of seeing ourselves in that type of light. We're done with slave movies. We're done with seeing ourselves projected in that light on a regular basis, how we were abused and how we were subjugated and how we were oppressed and how it's as important as it is to know, like my mom said, I don't, I don't need to see an entire museum of that. I'd rather see the history taught in all schools and not, you know, have it be a place where somebody has to choose to go there. And again, it is a double-edged sword because you can't forget the past. You don't, you know, you have to remember it. It's, it's crazy that it even happened. And then that just it brings up a whole nother frustration and anger that it's something that we have to deal with because it happened for so long. We shouldn't even, we should never have even had to deal with it. And now we certainly shouldn't be having to teach our children about what our ancestors went through. But at the same time, there are people, like you said, that need to know it. And it's not necessarily us. You know what I mean? And when I say yes. us, I mean black people. But that's why I think it should be taught in school, because, again, this is an elective place to go in one place in, in a country of hundreds of millions. And I fear that not everybody who needs it is going to get the information. And, you know, True. it just it just highlights the fact that there are, are certain places in the country that are continuing to try to whitewash this deplorable history from our collective consciousness. And I think that we just, we run the risk of going back down paths that we've already, already traversed and we've already, unfortunately, had to overcome if we don't teach young people about it and say look this is a dark dark cloud over our country and you know the only way we can get out from under it is to communicate with each other learn these histories so that we don't ever repeat them and continue to educate the the terrible experience out of our, our lives as a whole, not just out of our memories, but out of our, our behaviors and out of our teachings to our kids. I think that's, you know, well there's too, you know, there's too much going on where it's still being taught and the kids aren't getting it at school that it's not right what they're being taught.
0: Well said. The name of the podcast is Places I Remember. Can each of you tell us one memory, good or bad, that most sticks with you in regard to your travels as a person of color? Leslie, you want to start? Uh, Yes.
1: I remember, I mean, I mentioned earlier about this trip that we took down to Jackson, Mississippi. After we arrived and we did all of the uh, receiving and schmoozing at the college, my classmates and i decided to take a walk down this main drag in jackson during this this is so typical of college age people but during the trip down a romance developed between one reed spencer who was a canadian and red a a ginger canadian at that a redheaded freckle-faced handsome man and myself so we were walking down the street And he had his hand on, you know, the small of my back protectively like they used to do. I don't know if they still do that now. I remember getting in trouble in high school for for having my boyfriend do that, but (laughs) that's another thing. So he was doing that. And suddenly, uh, it seemed out of nowhere, a police officer appeared and he was almost apoplectic. Before we said one word, he was beside himself. What do you think you're doing? We're walking down the street. Now, you know, you know me, Leah, you know that I'm not shy in any way or fearful for that matter. But I understood what was getting ready to happen and Reed didn't. He did not. He was not. He was clueless. He had no idea of any of this thing. So he said, what do you think we're doing? We're walking down the street, officer. (laughs) Just like that. Well, he explained to us with his purple face because he was enraged. We don't do things like that down here. You take your hands off that girl. We don't do that. In fact, you need to go wherever you're going. wow. in the mean In the meantime, while that was going on, another classmate who had been walking elsewhere was being thrown into a paddy wagon and taken to jail for walking down the street with a student from Tougaloo. Oh, female. So he was, I don't even know what the charge was or what, you know, what caused it, but he was actually literally thrown into the back of the paddy wagon. And uh, Professor Alexander had to go bail him out of jail. That was only the beginning. Then we decided to go to visit the White Citizens Council. You remember that? <laughs> The White Citizens Council. I lied before when I said I'm not afraid because I was terrified. What do you mean? We can't go there. You've got me. Now, on the way down there, we'd already been declined a hotel stay in, of all places, Illinois, because they didn't allow Black people in the hotel. And I was shocked, absolutely shocked. And I stayed quiet for like the next two hours, just being sad because we had to keep driving. There was no place for us to stay. Then uh, we get down there, and uh, this has happened. I, you know, it, it was almost as if I were white myself. But the white Susie when they looked at me, they said to Professor Alexander, "Are all of your uh, group white?" And he said, "Oh, her, she's Hawaiian." Oh my gosh! Because I don't know why. Well, I, I, for your listeners, I'm light skinned, so. There have been times when I've been mistaken for anything other than black. So that worked. But then because I was so scared, I did, I needed to go to the ladies room. And that's when I encountered black women and white ladies uh, bathrooms. So I thought, OK, now I'm passing. I'm supposed to be not black. So I can't go into the colored restroom. So I had to go into the one, the other one. <laughs> Oh my! (laughs) These two little old ladies almost had heart heart attacks when they came out of the stall and saw me standing there.
0: That was. I'm glad that's over. At least that's over. Did you know this? Does Stephen know this story? No. Yeah. Yeah. Not a a good story. Uh, Yeah. What about you, Stephen? Have you any memory that sticks with you?
2: um, You know, I was in the Dominican. There's a couple and they're short. Um, I was in the Dominican and I was talking to my cab driver. I noticed that they had, you know, but I I knew before i had ever been because I played baseball with Dominicans and they have what looked to be black Dominicans. Like they look like African-American or African people. They look like black people. And they have Dominicans that are more fair-skinned with straighter hair and look more Latino. And, and I asked them if they have racism or colorism in their country because, you know, I come from America and we deal with discrimination and we have these biases towards each other that, you know, I wonder, do you guys have here? I mean, do you, do the darker-skinned Dominicans get treated differently or better or worse than the, the lighter-skinned Dominicans? And the guy said, No. We're all Dominicans. And I thought that that was a, a a really cool answer to hear. We don't see that. We're just all Dominicans. Whether that's true or not, I you know, I, I only got to ask that one person. I didn't go do a, a you know, a poll around the the island, but right. it was cool for that one guy to to say it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I was in Cape Town, South Africa, and it wasn't a bad experience, but it was an experience of one of those fearful, Things um, I was at a restaurant and having good conversation with some some guys that I you know had just met at the at the sushi bar and you know we were just talking and talking and they invited me to go to to some party that was away from where my hotel was maybe forty minutes drive away and i was like oh, you know i'll give you guys a call you know we exchanged information and i'm like oh you know we'll, we'll we'll talk about it yeah it sounds fun i'll you know i'll check it out but as the night went on and i the time for me to go started to approach i started being you know my gut was like no this is not a good idea you don't know these people it's 40 minutes away from the hotel. You're in a place where racism was just rampant and vicious. Everybody may not have gotten over it. Yeah. You you probably shouldn't do this. So I pulled out. I didn't, you know, I ended up not going and it was, they they could have been nice guys, you know what I mean? But, but they, they also could have been trying to lure me into something that was was bad for my existence. And that's what I felt. I was like, these guys are trying to trick me. These guys are trying to pull me into something that's going to get me killed. Wow. So, and, and it was all based on fear and anxiety and reputation. You know what I mean? So that yes. was, that's a, an experience that still kind of sticks with me as, as a kind of a negative experience, ne- not negative so much from the outside stimulus, but negative in the fact that I, I had to live through and think through that type of a what if situation. And it was, it wasn't fun. And it just, it, it kind of shook my, uh, my spirit a little bit in my, my outlook on humanity. You know what I mean? It was like, yes. man, I, I, I don't trust people. And that was kind of a, a, a shakeup for me. It was like, man, you know, you should supposed to trust people until they give you a reason not to, but there was just a strong, strong feeling in me, that was like this is not not in your best interest, and that that was disappointing. You know, it was disappointing yeah. that the world had shaped me to believe that certain people were out to do me harm.
0: Yes, uh, I hear you, Leslie Stephen. I want to thank you both for sharing your experiences. We need to continue dialogues like this, and we all need to open our hearts and our minds as we travel the world and as we go about our lives. Thanks again.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember, so follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, com, and keep making your own travel memories.